Good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm just going to look at a couple verses in Philippians chapter 4. Um, quite often, I myself and hearing from others will have times where we're depressed or sad or anxious or angry or things other than joyful, really, is what, what we describe it as. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul makes this statement. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So I have a problem. Um, Paul commands that we rejoice in the Lord all the time, no matter what our circumstance is. But he is a little more helpful than some people are that just tell you to cheer up. He gives us reasons why. The first thing he says is, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now we've heard this verse explained recently, and a time before that, this does not mean you just take a mean between two extremes. This means you act like a Christian. Your moderation is Christian behavior. So that's the first step, is to know what Christian behavior is and make sure you're doing it. Then the next thing he says is, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So Paul's first step for us is prayer. Don't be burdened down by the cares of life. You need to be focused on prayer to God and thanksgiving to Him. And that word supplication is um, a synonym for begging. There should be a, an attitude of, of a need, but you're not in a state of freaking out. You know where your, your source of help is, and that's where you go to. So the first thing is prayer. Then Paul says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, it's very difficult to rejoice all the time. However, if you're at peace, it'd become much easier, wouldn't it? So Paul tells us we need to act the proper way, moderation, and make sure our requests are being made known unto God. We need to be praying a lot as well. And he says, this is how you have peace. Then he adds something to that in verse 8. Finally, brethren, so this is the last thing he's going to say on this, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of, a, of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now someone who's upset or depressed will have a very easy time figuring out things about life that are the opposite of these things mentioned here. But throughout the course of this letter, Paul has been teaching these, this church to have the mind of Christ. And that's very important when you're looking at verse 8. There's certain things that we need to think about when you can't find anything else. You can insert someone else in there. Whatsoever things are true. When he stood before Pilate, Jesus said, I bear record of the truth. And in another place he says, I am the truth. And so when you can't find anything true to think about, you need to think about Jesus Christ and what he said. Then he said, whatsoever things are honest. There's nothing more honest than Christ and his promises. He showed that by his miracles and by fulfilling the Old Testament. Everything he said he was going to do, he did do. He said, I came to fulfill the law to a jot and a tittle, and he did that. So, if we want to find honest things, we need to think on Jesus Christ. Whatsoever things are just. There was no man more just. This man satisfied the justice of God. That's a very important fact for us to remember that we were enemies of God until Christ came and satisfied his justice. He was a just man that died for us and justified us before God. Whatsoever things are lovely. This one's a little strange to me, but Christ is a lovely picture. He was a good, honest, kind man. He treated others well, and he healed many. And so he was very lovely to, to man. He was very kind to us. Whatsoever things are of good report. I like this one. Jesus made some promises when he left. He said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. That's a good report. He was successful on the cross. That's a good report. His promise that he's coming back is also a good report. So we should think on these things. If there be any virtue and any praise, and there's a lot of praise and a lot of virtue and all of those things about Jesus Christ, we should think on these things. So when you find yourself not rejoicing and overcome, you need to think on Jesus Christ. You need to think on what he has done not on what you're doing or what other people are doing, but what he has done and how he has satisfied verse 8 here. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for these people that are here. 
I pray that the songs that we have sung were glorifying to you and that we would remain in that mindset focused on you and focused on your praise. And I pray for this man that's going to come and stand before us. I pray that you bless him with the words that we need to hear and the words that you want us to hear. I pray for us who are listening that you would bless our minds to be focused and centered and, and receptive to what we're going to hear and that we would remember it and remember it well and carry it with us and not put it aside. I pray for those that were mentioned that were sick or have other ailments that are trying to recover or looking at um, difficult times ahead of them, that you would comfort them, heal them, and help their families through it. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us throughout the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Appreciate those words, Brother Jonah. I uh, have rejoiced in that particular section of Scripture many times in my life, and they've been a comfort to me. Uh, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't until this morning that I looked at the beginning of the next verse that said, those things which you have heard of me. Paul lists out all these things, and then you don't get to define them however you want. He said, I preach this stuff to you. <laughs> so it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us to that point of peace in our lives where we can rejoice always. If you would please turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to look at Paul's prayer of thanksgiving that he has for the church at Corinth. And my subject this morning is riches. Because Paul is going to use the term enriched in this. And so I want us to make sure we understand what it means to be rich. Just a little bit of review of what's going on at the church at Corinth. It is very similar to the metropolitan church of today. That um, it was a wealthy church for the most part. It had a lot of entertaining things in it. It was a giant social club with many cliques in it. Um, and everybody just kind of worshipped the way they wanted to brought in the doctrine that they wanted, and they were trying to make the church work. Now, having said that, this is children of God. They've gone astray, though. And so Paul writes this letter because their doctrine and their practice were going astray, and that was because they were divided. And so doctrine became less important, but the uh, whatever thing they wanted to do, whatever practice they wanted to, uh, to practice and enjoy became the focus of their worship, much like many churches today here in the United States and around the world. The problem with that kind of attitude, that ecumenical idea, it might make it where people can find a church that, that kind of fits their, their lifestyle, that kind of fits the, the stuff that they like to do. If that was okay, Paul would have never written this letter. Paul is going to write, there is a specific doctrine that you are to believe. There's a specific practice that you ought to be doing. And when you're not doing that, you're drawing away from the Lord Jesus Christ, not drawing closer to him. Contrary to what modern people say today, and they have always said, doctrine is what draws the Lord's people together. Belief in the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross will draw the Lord's people together if they're truly believing it. Now, if they don't want to believe it, it's not going to draw them together. They're going to get a little bit ornery about it because it takes their will and tosses it out the window where it should be, and it focuses on the will of God. Makes folks uncomfortable. But I want to be able to please the Lord. And so, other than the letter to the Galatians... This is probably the most scathing letter that the Apostle Paul writes. If you've read through this, you can see there's some pretty harsh things he has to deal with. And he doesn't beat around the bush. He comes right after them. But he does it in love, in a pastoral way. And he begins the letter by reminding them who they are. He doesn't just immediately attack them. Remember, this is a church that he spent over a year and a half with. That's very unusual for the ministry of the Apostle Paul to spend that much time in a place. And so these folks are very dear to him. 
And so he says, I, I, I pastored you there while I was there. You need to remember because what you're doing now is not what I taught you. And so he opens the letter saying who he was. Remember, he talked about Sosthenes, our brother. Talked about there being a church of God in Corinth. That right there is a miracle of the grace of God in and of itself. But let's be honest with ourselves. The fact that there is a church anywhere on this fallen earth is a miracle of the grace of God. Let us not think that Walton County, Georgia is any better than New York City. We're sinners in need of the grace of God, and God saw fit to put one of his churches here, and I'm very thankful for that. I hope you are as well. So let's get into the prayer that he has here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll look at verses 4 through 9. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, before we get into our subject, you, you can, this is going to distract you for a second, and if you do, that's fine because you're going to be reading the Word of God. In the first nine verses of this epistle, Jesus or Jesus Christ is mentioned nine times. Now, there's one verse where his name's not mentioned, but there's another verse where he's mentioned twice. What was the problem at Corinth? It was me, me, me. Paul says, no, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So his name is mentioned nine times before he even gets to the subject of his letter. That tells me the solution to every problem that we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Sometimes we get so focused on, well, it could be that we, we'll get focused on the doctrine of election or we'll get focused on the doctrine of predestination, which there's nothing wrong with teaching those doctrines. Y'all know that from my perspective. I teach those. But let us not forget that we were elected into Jesus Christ and we were predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Doctrine doesn't mean a thing without Jesus Christ. Paul says, that's my focus. Remember, he's going to say, some of mine were Paul, some of Cephas, some of Apollos. You know, there's some cliques that are happening there. And when we get into that, you're going to see there's specific kind of characteristics that go along with those things, like Cephas. That's the, 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 the clique of the Jews. This was a social club for some of them. Apollos. Apollos was a great orator. These folks liked to hear a fellow that talked really well. Now, there was nothing wrong with Apollos' preaching, but they were drawn to him by his style. Paul's going to take care of those kinds of things, which means we need to get over our proclivities in that and just find the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and whoever is preaching. Paul says that in everything ye are enriched by him. Now, we're going to go verse by verse on this for a second, but we're going to focus on being enriched by him. It is not a new problem that people think material wealth is a clear declaration of the blessing of God. In the first century, we find even amongst Jesus' disciples that they thought if someone had trouble financially or physically or mentally, it was because the Lord wasn't blessing them. We can go back into the book of Job even. His miserable comforters said, Job, the only reason that this is this way is because you did something. And so 
prosperous health, prosperous wealth, prosperous life, prosperity doctrine is nothing new. It's been the devil's tool all along. And so what we need to understand when the Apostle Paul says enriched or to be rich, this is not talking about the deceitfulness of riches of this world. And let me describe to you that. Well, first of all, uh, keep your finger there in your Bible and turn over to Proverbs chapter 10. Because there is a richness that can happen. Be turning to Proverbs chapter 10, and we're headed to verse 22. Think about the last time you bought or were given a smartphone. It's supposed to be a useful tool, but what's the first thing you did? You bought a cover to protect it because you paid a lot of money or over a long period of time, you're going to end up paying a lot of money for some plastic, glass, and electronics. So with that came a little bit of heartache. It came with a burden. When you buy a car, even if the state didn't require it, you would most likely buy some car insurance, wouldn't you? Because it's too expensive to replace the car once you bought it. So there's a burden that comes along with that. We'll make it even bigger. A house is called a what? A money pit. <laughs> they can be a blessing to us, but they can also be a drain to us financially. All three of those are levels of richness of worldly things that when we think about it, they all come with an additional burden. The riches of God do not come with an additional burden. Look here what Solomon says. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. So let's think about that. That becomes very quick for us to recognize things that have come into our lives as to whether they are a blessing from God or we have interpreted them someplace or they're flat out not a blessing from God. Is there a burden that comes along with it? Proverbs says... The Lord doesn't add that to it. He just gives you a gift, and it's just good. I like that. I think that's how we can find some peace and rejoice all the time. But like I said, if we interpret the blessing of God to be something that we can materially hold, most of the time, if not all of the time, there is a burden that comes along with that. One of the biggest burdens is, is somebody going to take it away from me? Well, I'm going to tell you the end of my sermon this morning. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So that means when the Lord gives something, he doesn't take it away. And that's our biggest fear, isn't it? Is that what we have, will it go away? So what are these riches? What does it mean? Well, you'll recall Jesus taught in the parable of the soils that there were those that, because of the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, came in like weeds and choked out the word of God that was in their hearts. And so one of the things that the riches of this world do is deceive us and take away from our minds the true blessings of God. You may know some folks, and I've known some folks, and I've been down that road before of thinking that material wealth was evidence of the blessing of God. And when that went away, we thought God had forsaken us. That's what happens to so many people who become disinterested or disillusioned by modern-day Christianity is they are promised everything and it doesn't come but they see that pastor getting him two or three jetliners and another car and another car and another mansion that's not the gospel of the lord jesus christ what i find in the bible particularly with the preachers is they acted just like christ and the bible says he was rich but he came became poor so that we might be rich we find the Apostle Paul, who was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, 
That meant he was the number one prize student. He was going to be in charge after Gamaliel got too old or passed away. He's a rich man in this world's goods. And we find that he was homeless at times. That he had to go live with folks and have them take care of him. And he took care of them. Just like Jesus did. How many times do we find in the Gospels? We just looked at that on Wednesday night the, the past couple of weeks. That after a confrontation with the Pharisees, it says everybody went to their own home and Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. There ain't no home there. There's an orchard. <laughs> he was homeless. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews that we find in John chapter 3, which means he was rich. But history tells us that after he begged for the body of Jesus Christ with Joseph of Arimathea. Before the days of destruction of Jerusalem, his daughter was found gathering corn at the feet of the animals to find something to eat. But they considered themselves rich. They didn't concern themselves with these worldly things. So I'm going to, if this was a bad thing that I was about to do, it would be called gaslighting. <laughs> but I'm about to bombard you with scriptures about what the true riches of God are. And this is just a small taste. This is just a small taste. James chapter 1. Should have told you to pop your fingers and get ready to turn because we're going to turn to several places. James chapter 1. Verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. This can be taken two ways and both of them are right. Every good and every perfect gift only comes from God. You don't get a good gift or a perfect gift from any source other than God. The other way it can be taken is God only gives good and perfect gifts. And that's true. Because he is good. And he is perfect. And so that's all he is able to give. We're not talking about the judgment of God. That's not giving. <laughs> that's Declaring, and that's act, taking action. This is giving of gifts from the Father of lights. And here's another promise in James. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's not a politically correct term to use today, but when I was a kid, some of you might recognize this term. That fellow's an Indian giver. I have no idea where the term came from, and I know it's not politically correct today, but that meant you gave something and you took it back later variableness, shadow of turning. None of those are in God. If he gives it, he's not going to take it away. God is not fickle. God didn't give you a gift because you deserved it. He gave you a gift because he is good. And since he never stops being good, he'll never take the gift away. Isn't that a richness that you want? That's a richness I want. Philippians chapter 4. Jonah had us here just a few minutes ago. So let's go back there. Philippians chapter 4. In the close of this letter in verse 19, the apostle Paul says, But my God shall supply all your need. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. My God shall. This is not a possibility. This is a definite. We like he shall save his people from their sins, right? Here's another definite. My God shall supply all your need. If you write in your Bible, underline the word need. That is not want. Most folks have trouble telling the difference between a need 
and a want. Let me give you a hint. Or let me tell you something flat out. If you have trouble telling the difference between a need and a want, you are very rich in this world's stuff. <laughs> but if you've been to a place that has need, those folks don't have any problem whatsoever knowing what they need and what they want. Paul says, though, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory huh? by what? Christ Jesus. God is not limited by the riches that we see here in this world, and there's a lot of them. Most folks would like to, to quote that the, the cattle of a thousand hills are his, and that puts a material thing in our minds. But what Paul says here, thanks be to God that we see this right now, he shall supply all our need, not from the cattle of a thousand hills, but from his full glory and riches. Things we can't see. He supplies all our need. If you're downcast and distraught, money doesn't help. It's a distraction. But if you're downcast and distraught, he can come and comfort your heart. That's a riches in glory, isn't it? Something we can't see. We don't know how he does it. You've had that experience, haven't you? You've been downcast. And you may have even sung the song, cast down but not destroyed, but you flat out felt destroyed, didn't you? And there wasn't a single thing a human could do, but God came and he comforted you. That was Jesus Christ doing that. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again all of that goes together to saying not that we shouldn't search to see how smart God is but we'll never find the end of his wisdom and knowledge one of the things that being in your 50s reminds you of that you need to be reminded of when you're in your 20s is there's an end to your wisdom. There's an end to your knowledge. You may not have found it yet. And if you haven't, you need to search a little bit more. That way you'll start trusting the Lord more. <laughs> I was mentioning to Brother Jonah and Brother Matthew couple weeks ago that now some 25 or 30 years later I understand more of the Bible than I did when I first tried to start speaking I do I understand more but you know what I also found out I understand less there's more in there that I don't understand that I didn't know about before that used to bother me but then I realized no, that means there's just more precious jewels. That if I am blessed to live longer, there's going to be more new things to find out about Jesus Christ. There's going to be more new blessings to see in his word, more promises to find. Because, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. We need that. Men try to figure out a solution for the problems in the world today. And if God is not in the equation, there is no solution. 
But God is in the equation, and the solution is Jesus Christ. A nation that turns toward Christ is a blessed nation. A nation that doesn't turn toward Christ is a dying nation. But God solves all of the things, and that is he is sending his son back for us once again. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're looking at just a handful. And if you want to have some fun, and it is fun, it's kind of like a scavenger hunt. Get you a search engine on a Bible and type in the word rich and put an asterisk after. That's called a Boolean search, which means it'll search for the word rich. It'll search for riches. It'll search for any form of the word rich. And just look at how many verses you find that talk about the riches of, of God. Now, when you do that search, you'll also find out about deceitful riches. Those are good lessons to put alongside it to remind you, don't go down that road. That's not the blessing of God. With those comes a burden. The blessing of God doesn't have a burden added to it. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we know what happens in verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6. It ends up with us being accepted in Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You don't have forgiveness of sins for all eternity because you deserved it or you asked for it or you lived a little bit better than somebody else. You have forgiveness of, his sin, of sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ, which comes from the riches of his grace. He is the source of it. See, the problem at Corinth was a works and will doctrine had infiltrated. And people thought they were deserving the blessing of God because of things that they had done. They were seeing themselves better than other folks. Kind of the reason why this letter's pretty rough because that was the problem with the church at, churches at Galatia, wasn't it? They compared themselves to others. So, oh, we're better than they are, so we deserve the blessing of God. No. Paul has just taught about election, predestination, justification, justification, sanctification. All of those things are in those verses before verse 7. And then he gets down here and he says, we have redemption and forgiveness all of this is from his riches of his grace. God is the source of it. Verse 18 of this same chapter. In verse 16, he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He said, this is what I pray. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling? And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. There's a future aspect in the riches of God. Inheritance in the saints. We're going to inherit something. We already have inherited something. Because the testator has died. The will is carried out and the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God is upon us and in His church. We have the inheritance that's in the gospel. We also have an inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away that's reserved for us in heaven by the riches of the glory of God. You notice how in all of these we're not doing something to get rich. We're getting something from the riches of God and that makes us rich and gives us hope and gives us peace. We're all very familiar with the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. There is another gift. But look at verse 4. But God, ah, I got to read the thing before it. 
Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. There's some big things in there. A person that is dead in their sins cannot change their nature. The Bible says the Ethiopian cannot change the color of his skin, and a leopard can't change his spots. Our nature that we inherited from Adam is fallen. And if it weren't for the grace of God, all we would do is fulfill the lust of the flesh. That means be fully filled up. Now, that doesn't mean we're all going to be a Hitler. Because depravity does not mean that we acted out to the extreme. Depravity, though, means that we are polluted to the extreme. That there's no soundness in us at all. That's the reason the term dead in sins is used. That's our condition without God, but the most beautiful phrase in the Bible, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together. And he goes on and on and on. Now we have the riches of his mercy. You know, somebody that's doing the right thing doesn't need mercy. Because they're already in fellowship with God. But this description is people that aren't doing the right thing. And that's what mercy is. If you deserve it, it's not mercy. Jesus Christ didn't come to save the savable because none of us were savable by our own merit. Jesus Christ didn't come to redeem the redeemable because there was nothing in us that was worth redeeming. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us. The riches of the mercy of God. The riches of the love of God. Verse 7 in that same phrase. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What is he talking about? I should have read the verse, the verse before it. Heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's the exceeding riches of his grace. When we are caught up together with him in the air, we will not be God, but we will be like God in this aspect. We will be holy. We cannot fall again. That's exceeding. That's exceeding. Because if there is a possibility we're going to fall again, we will. So he is going to be exceedingly gracious toward us and make it where we cannot fall. Chapter 3. The Apostle Paul talks about himself in verse 8. He says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints... Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of of God. Paul says the preaching of the gospel is the description of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Not the unsearchable riches of Christ and man's ability to play a guitar. Not the unsearchable riches of Christ and man's ability to dance. Not the unsearchable riches of Christ for, uh, uh, with Christ and man's ability to sing or man's ability to preach. It's just Christ. And you know what? It's revealed in the church. That verse 10 says that even the angels show up to church 
because they want to learn more about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And where do they go to learn it? By the hand of God through the ministers of the gospel, men. That's an amazing thing. I could keep going on with these, but we need to get back to our subject. Just suffice it to say and know that there are many, many verses that teach about the riches, the true riches of God. That it comes from His bounty. It comes from Him and Him alone. And so it is a source that we can't find the end of it. And so they're everlasting blessings. And they don't come with an additional burden. They don't come with a, if you will, those eternal blessings of God are yea and amen. They don't go away. Now, we have a choice then. Do we want to enjoy and live and walk by faith understanding these riches of God in Christ Jesus? Or do we want to be deceived by the riches of the world? Because it's possible. Revelation chapter 3 has the church at Laodicea that says, we are rich. But Christ writes them a letter and says, you're poor. They were the richest people in that area in worldly goods. But Christ, their Redeemer, this is children of God. Christ, their Redeemer, says, nope, you're poor. And you're blind. And you're naked. <laughs> because you have forgotten me. Because the church at Laodicea is where Jesus is on the outside knocking on the door. Now, we know that doesn't mean Jesus Christ is knocking on the door of your heart trying to get you born again. He doesn't have to try that. He does it. This is talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, born-again believers who had gotten so caught up in the wealth of this world that when they come to worship, they don't even realize Jesus is not in there with them. But thanks be to God, he says, if anyone. Doesn't require the whole church to repent of that attitude. If one of us... <laughs> will realize he's on the outside. He'll come in and he'll sup with that one. We can have worship even if the rest of the church is off in La La Land. Which, by the way, La La Land sounds like a lot L.A., Los Angeles, Hollywood. Okay? That's fictitious. That is false truth, which means it's a lie. And it's false riches, which means it's deceivable. Let's go back to our text. I'm not going to have to rush because I set the foundation for this by showing you what these riches are. It's justification, it's sanctification, it's glorification, it's election. It's all of those things. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Paul's preaching, which is given you by the preaching of Apollos, which is given you by how rich you are and how much you gave to the church which is given to you because of your stature in the community. No, the grace that came to you came by one source and one source only, Jesus Christ. That's one of the nine mentions of Christ's name in that opening. It's from God, who is our Father, not our judge. And everything that comes from our Father comes through Jesus Christ. That in everything ye are enriched by Him. He says in everything that you need. In the Ephesian letter, he says he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Meaning, whatever it is is necessary to be rich in Christ Jesus, it's given. And he's going to get particular with this church here. That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's going to lift out 
the gifts that are there at Corinth. They had many of the miraculous sign gifts of the first century church. As a matter of fact, I think you could contest by what Paul says here. They were blessed more than any other church with the amount of sign gifts and other gifts that they had. He's going to mention some gifts that ceased during the first century, but he's also going to mention the gifts of wisdom and of prophecy and of evangelism that still exist today. He says, y'all are blessed more than any other church. But you remember, what's the next chapter? Charity. He says, after all of these praises, he says, of all the gifts that you have, he says, but I show you a better way. So you forgot who gave you the gift. So he starts the letter by saying, God, through Jesus Christ, is the one that gave this to you. He made it to where you can do the things that you are doing so that you come behind in no gift. That right there is Paul's declaration that the church at Corinth in spiritual gifts was blessed more than any other church in his time. They came behind in no gift. They weren't lacking in anything. There's something important to notice about spiritual gifts, though. Paul says, each one of you has been doing this to promote his particular ideas. But if you look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you look in Ephesians chapter 3 and 4, and you look in Romans 12, you're going to find that these gifts are given to the church not for the promotion of the individual, but for the edifying of the body of Christ. So that tells me when God blesses with wisdom and knowledge and an utterance, that means the ability to speak, he's not doing it so the man can become famous and rich. He is doing it because there's somebody that needs to be taught and they're in the church. So that tells me men ought to be teaching in churches. That's not to say we don't put things out on the internet. That's not to say you don't put something on the television. But the focus of the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is in a local assembly. That tells me something on the other side. If you want to know about God, get to church. Because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. So that you come behind and no gift. And then he says, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is absolutely awesome what he says right here. He says, you have been blessed before. He said, but there's another blessing coming. You're waiting for something. You're waiting. This is a church that had gone astray, but they still had that hope of the return of Jesus Christ. We find out from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that there were some folks that taught against the resurrection of the dead, which means they had forgotten this hope. And so he says, church ought to be focusing on the return of Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end. The gospel was confirmed in them. Why? How do we know that? Because they believed and they exhibited the gifts of the Spirit. Now there's a confirmation that's going to happen. Who shall confirm you unto the end? Confirm means to establish. Is your hope that you'll do just enough in order to get to be with God forevermore? If so, you're hopeless. <laughs> Is your hope that you can live better than everybody else so Christ will look at you and say, all right, you did okay. You did better than your neighbor did. Come on in. You're hopeless. Your only hope is to being confirmed or established by Jesus Christ. Because notice what he says. That ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Justification is the key. There is coming a judgment. But it is not a judgment where the children of God will stand before him and have all of their sins listed out against them. That will happen to those whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life. They will be judged by the books. But those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, they shall be found blameless. Why? Because their sins were already listed out. They were listed out against Jesus Christ. He died for them. His blood covers them. 
And he is going to confirm you to the end, and you will be blameless. So here's the deal. Here's what's happened at Corinth. Here's what happens when we throw doctrine out the window and we decide we can pick any practice we want to do. How important are doctrine and practice? They're going to be confirmed to the end. They are eternally justified. At one point, probably in the year and a half while Paul was with them, they were confirmed in the gospel and they had justification by faith. They had peace in their hearts. But now this church looks like the hedonistic garbage of Corinth. They have brought in practices and they have not stopped sin amongst their members. And so they're not justified by works. They don't look like children of God. What? They're blameless until the end. They were confirmed in the gospel, but the way they are living, catch this, the way that they are living doesn't look like it. And people will say, well, that's none of the church's business. The Apostle Paul thought it was. And if you go over and read in chapter 11, I'll not go there. I'll just summarize it for you. In chapter 11, Paul described what happened at the church at Corinth. And that is, some of them had gotten sick because of what they were doing. Some of them had gotten so sick that they died. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that this is the chastisement of God. Their sickness and their death was chastisement to bring repentance. Now, why would God do this? Paul says why. Because if he didn't, then he would judge them eternally. But they're already confirmed and will be confirmed blameless at the end of time. They were confirmed in the gospel. They have justification by grace. They had justification by faith, but they didn't look like the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so God's not happy with it. You are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's why you were born again. That's why the church is here, so that we can be the light of the world, so that we can be the salt of the earth. And when a church is not doing that, when the Lord's people are not doing that, I mean, wouldn't you whip your kid if they weren't acting right? God does the same thing. It gotten so bad at Corinth. They'd gotten so arrogant that God had withdrawn his presence from them and they got sick. But Paul calls that chastisement. God never forsook the church at Corinth. God does not forsake his people. But what does the old hymn say? Or I too soon removed. Have we stepped away from God? And if we have, let's step back toward God. Because James has got a wonderful promise. Draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. You just think that one step you make toward God puts you close to him. Nah, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Take that one step toward God. Turn back toward him and watch him envelop you with his love and his mercy and the riches of his grace and the riches of his mercy and the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you all is my prayer.